Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the science of health, human performance, and ultimate potential. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and I'm a scientist with a PhD in human physiology. I have served as a professor in kinesiology at the University of Toronto and as a scientist in translational medicine at SickKids Hospital. I've also worked with dozens of Olympic-level athletes through the Canadian Sports Centre Network. In this podcast, I do my best to take complex research and make it understandable and actionable for you to improve your health and well-being and perform to your true potential at whatever it is that you care about the most. In each show, I chat with leading experts in the field of productivity, sleep, nutrition, physiology, and psychology, as well as some of the most exceptional performers across all disciplines. Together, we explore the amplifiers that propel us towards high performance and overcome the obstacles that challenge us. Ultimately, I want to share 1% gains that can make a massive difference in your life. Thank you for listening in, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Let me know your thoughts and comments on social at Dr. Greg Wells. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Great to be with you again. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast. This week, we dive into a little bit more of the epic presentation that I did. Actually, it wasn't an epic presentation. It was a presentation at Epic that was all about energy and thriving. Specifically, I wanted to get into the idea of hormesis, which is that a little bit of stress is good and a lot is not stress being a spark for growth and positive adaptation where too much stress can actually make us sick and ill. When we practice ideas and principles and tactics that enable us to stimulate our bodies to get better, that's what I think is a way for us to improve our health and well-being and ability to perform. When it comes to this, an example is heat, whereas a, a little bit of heat is actually really good for you. A lot of heat, you die, right? And similarly with cold, cold water immersion, for example, a little bit's really great for you, but a lot can be really problematic. And I dig into that in this session. So I know that this will help clarify a lot of uh, information that you might be hearing about heat, cold, stress, and other things. And there's a little bit of Q&A here as well, which is always awesome and fun. So I think that you will really enjoy this session. So without any, without any further delays, please enjoy my presentation, uh, a section of my presentation at the Epic Summit, all about Energize to Thrive. Let me know on social at Dr. Greg Wells what you thought and if you have any questions. Energize and Thrive. So we will dig into the second half of this work with the Energize and Thrive components. Taking our lives to another level, radical acceptance of the past. We are where we are. So now what? Let's move forwards. Let's build the practices that make us healthy, improve our well-being, and help us reach our true human potential. And to that, we are going to speak about energy. Once again, back to our physiological model, but we're going to go deeper. Beginning with the lungs, oxygen in. Load the oxygen onto the red blood cells. Pump that throughout our entire body, through our cardiovascular system, into our bodies, into our brains, through our spinal cord, into our muscles, into our muscle fibers, all the way down into our mitochondria, one step further into, you don't need to know this, I know it's grade 10 bio, into your electron transport chain and the, um, the Krebs cycle. I'm so sorry, don't leave, don't leave, it'll be fast, I promise, <laughs> moving on. So, 
I was like, oh, he ruined it. He was doing so well. Get him off the stage, Stu. This is on the test just for you. <laughs> Only the Australians have to write the test on this one since you brought that up. Um, so this breaks down all of the food that you eat to create energy. And the interesting thing that happens, though, is that at the cellular level, at the microscopic level within your cells, in this Krebs cycle, what happens when we use oxygen to think, to move, to play music, to create art, to do work, whatever it happens to be, all of those sorts of things, um, and we process that energy inside your cells, we create that energy using oxygen to break down the foods that you eat, uh, there is actually a process that happens. And that process can be good and it can be damaging. So we have to be careful to modulate it and use it to our advantage. The process is called inflammation, which I'm sure many of you have probably heard about. And the way that that works is if we, sorry, if we look at this graph, and you don't need to know this, but I'm just going to highlight how it happens. So we have stress. In this case, it's exercise stress. This is a graph that we published in a journal a few years ago, but it's exercise stress and or mental stress. So we have either mechanical, so like you're moving your muscles, or there's metabolic stress. So this is like energy in your brain, energy in your body. That actually causes something called reactive oxygen species, which is kind of like rust. So if you leave metal exposed to the air, it rusts. If you leave an apple cut open exposed to the air, it turns brown. That happens inside all of your cells when we process oxygen to think, to move. And so there is this reactive oxygen species that are created. That then yields some damage inside the cell and increases of metabolism, all modulated by these reactive oxygen species, which then create stress signals in the form of various different inflammatory markers. Now, those inflammatory markers, which you know, many of you have probably heard of inflammation, probably all bad. And if there's too many of these, it does cause problems. However, these are also the signals through your nucleus, where all your DNA live, into stimulating growth and adaptation. So what we want to try to do as much as possible is use this to our advantage. I know that the messaging out there is that inflammation is bad. Actually, inflammation is how you get fitter, stronger, healthier, and more resilient. However, if it's chronic, it's problematic. So we want this stress to occur. We want to stimulate those reactive oxygen species inside the body. By analogy, using a forest fire analogy, it's basically like we burn the forest, right? You get rid of all the old growth stuff, and gradually over time, through the inflammatory process, the forest regrows, and ultimately we adapt with stronger muscles, stronger brains. And so we want this oxidation to happen, but then it, afterwards we want the inflammation to happen, and that's why we say stress plus rest equals growth. And the magic for all of us is to make sure that we incorporate the rest component, and that's where many of us don't give ourselves permission to do that. We're stressed, we're anxious, we're nervous, we just want to do more, However, when we have that stress, we give ourselves the space to rest, our bodies improve, and we get fitter, we get stronger, we get more resilient, we get smarter, all those sorts of things. Here's how we manage this. Here's the simple philosophy 
that you can use over and over and over again. I've got five or six examples for you as to how we can enable this whole process to happen better. And it's called hormesis. I'm getting into the weeds here in physiology, and I promise I'll pull it back out to the real world in a bit. But hormesis is basically a simple idea that a little is good, a lot is not. Let's use the example of salt. If you eat a little bit, if you have no salt, you die. That's why it was used as currency for hundreds of years. No salt, you die. A moderate amount of salt, you get healthier. Too much salt, you die. Hormesis. All right, same thing with fasting, caloric restriction. If you have no food, you die. Healthy amount of food, awesome. Take breaks, fasting. Too much food, you die, right? <laughs> Moderation wins. And there's so much stuff out in the world, and especially on the internet now with influence, influencers and like people pushing each other out into the extremes and echo chambers and as much as I'm a big fan of figuring out how we can make the body better, I don't love a lot of the quote-unquote biohacking stuff that's coming out now because it's just polarizing and saying this is the only way and you gotta go all the way out here. The actual, the, re the reality is over and over and over again when we look at this, moderation wins. Consistency and moderation always win. And so, <laughs> philosophically, so I was like, not in this community. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? I didn't see you guys what to say. Oh, yeah? Okay, cool. You're actually agreeing with me. <laughs> okay, good. Whew. Do not upset the HRM table on the left-hand side of the room. Um, another one that I've been super into that I think is a great example of this is heat. So whether it's taking a sauna, whether it's infrared sauna, convection sauna, we talked about that earlier, exposing yourself to sunlight, doing some exercise to increase your body temperature. Um, this is a core practice that we can use. And again, a little is good stimulates heat shock proteins, sorry I lost it there for a second, it stimulates heat shock proteins which then circulate throughout your entire body and improve your cardiovascular system. So take a hot bath, take a sauna, get outside in the summer, in the sun, get hot, it's really good for you. And then that will stimulate the HSPs, the heat shock proteins, to circulate throughout your body and improve blood flow to your brain, to your muscles, to your organs. So a core practice for all of us, your first hormetic practice, if you will, is I would love for you to practice some form of heat exposure a few times a week. Hot bath, lock the door so your kids can't get in, put on a candle, some ins <laughs> hot flashes, <laughs> that works too. Yeah, make sure you hydrate. <clears throat> Actually, you know what's really funny? On that note, um, nothing, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So right there. <clears throat> That's the, you know what's funny, says the middle-aged white guy on stage, right? Oops, can I have that comment back, please? <laughs> Before Shelly's like, nothing's funny about this. It sucks. Actually, my, one of my very, very, very first consulting gigs I ever had was at 24 years old. Kin graduate working for a pharmaceutical company called Sibagaygi was actually doing health education around, believe it or not, if you can possibly believe this in the early 90s, around menopause. So that was like, if you can survive that, as like a 24-year-old kid, like speaking about the physiology of all of that stuff, you can survive anything. Um, and here we are today. So, I, but I did want to claw that back as it left my mouth. But um, anyway, point being, 
is that I think that if we leverage this externally, it can make a huge difference. And of course, there's obviously physiology that we need to cope with as well when this is happening. On the other end of the spectrum, we can leverage the fact that cold also has a powerful positive benefit as well. This is a shot that Judith, my wife, took last February. That is me in the lake. Um, in, it, was, it was like minus 10, the water was zero. There was a layer about half an inch thick of, of ice broke through it. My dog tried to come in, he's like, you're an idiot, left. Um, <laughs> and I was able to stand, that was my best day, that was about 20 minutes. And all we did was I just did that breath work that you just did over and over and over again to generate some heat and stay in there. And the magic with this is that where heat stimulates your cardiovascular system to get stronger, fitter, healthier, and better, cold stimulates your nervous system, your brain and your spinal cord. And so perhaps, Kevin, you could explain what that felt like. This is us a few weeks ago in the Rockies, uh, and I dragged Kevin's entire team out into, into a lake to do this. So like, what, can you describe the experience for, for everybody? We didn't lose anyone either, which was awesome. So when you get out there, what happens is you will notice whether you're in a cold bath, when you're in a cold bath with some ice, whether you're in a glacier lake, or you're simply taking a cold shower with the cold water hitting your forehead at the end of your day, your nervous system calms down. This is a powerful effect to shift you out of sympathetic nervous system activation which is your stress perform system, and turns that system off and turns on your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest, recover, and regenerate system. I went out into the lake uh, about a month ago in a full moon, and it was really cold. And that was the, you can see the, it was like stunningly beautiful. Like it was absolutely still, it was all alone. Judith um, grabbed a shot. And, but you can look at my heart rate curve Right? My heart literally sh almost shut off. Like it was 40% decrease. And it jumped right back up as soon as I got out of the water. Like it literally shifts you into parasympathetic dominance, rest, recover, regenerate. I absolutely love this when I am not feeling good mentally. If I'm having a hard day, it happens. I'm sad, frustrated ruminating, whatever it happens to be, I go into the lake, I spend five minutes, and that's worse. So <laughs> it makes everything else easier, right? So I would love for all of you just to think about CWI's cold water immersion once a week. That could be a cold shower. That could be a cold bath. Don't be afraid to get into a lake. Don't do it alone because you don't want to hyperventilate and pass out. It can absolutely happen. Um, so that's something that you can consider. Or if you don't want to do that, and it's totally fine if you don't, just simply experiment with 30 seconds of cool to cold water at the end of your shower in the morning, either off of the third eye of your forehead or right in between your shoulder blades right here because there's a deposit of brown fat right between your shoulder blades that's highly metabolically active. And when you make it cold, it actually turns that whole metabolic region on, which can increase your metabolism and make you feel quite awesome for the rest of the day. So 
right between your shoulder blades, like right here. That little tiny hump that's like the top of your shoulder blades, right below the, you know, right in, right in, right in here. It's, it's awesome. Um, so something to think about there. Another idea that I have for you around hormesis is to move moderately. So I talk a lot about exercise, be consistent, and there's a really interesting pattern that emerges when we are physically active. And I'm someone that coaches Olympic athletes, and I've done all the heart rate zones, and I've you know coached people to run across deserts and special force. Like I love pushing people to the limits. I love being pushed to the limits, usually by Lisa Bentley, um, when I'm actually doing her workouts. But here's something that we need to be very, very careful and, and consider. So this is a famous relationship in exercise physiology. It's the J-shaped relationship between exercise and your immune system. So if we look on the left-hand side of this curve, you can see that for people who don't exercise, they get sick at a certain rate. For people who exercise moderately, for a moderate amount, they get sick 75% less often. For people who overtrain, their illnesses skyrocket. So when I was coaching athletes, and we would take them on training camp and do a two to three week block of super intense focused training, the biggest risk for us was the airplane on the way home. So we were like, wash your hands, wear masks, don't touch anything except yourself. And that's how we kind of kept people. <laughs> Took you guys a while to get that one. I'm just making sure you're still with me, right? So that's why. It's day one, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, that's why we say habitual physical activity all day long and three to five times a week times 45. Not only is that just good for your health, not only is that good for your mindset, but it also keeps your immune system healthy and strong so you can fight off colds, flus, COVID-19. And remember that your immune system is what fights off cancer. So it also helps to lower your risk of cancer overall. Exercise has been shown to decrease your risk of and it's now up to 24 different types of cancer, anywhere from 24 to 50%. And it's not hard exercise, it's walking for about 15 minutes a day. That's how much you need in order to get those benefits. So it's not a lot, and it doesn't have to be very intense. We're just looking to be hyper consistent as we possibly, as we can possibly be. The other piece of the puzzle that I wanna share with you on this one is just around nutrient density, and specifically around polyphenols, flavonoids, vitamins, minerals, things that we hear a ton about, but there's a lot not a lot, but there has been some controversy around this, largely because of a book called The Plant Paradox, which kind of suggested maybe that veggies weren't good for you, and there was a lot of stuff around that, and that generated the carnivore movement. And, but, so I want to kind of put that to rest and say that we do know that healthy carbohydrates are absolutely fantastic for us. We know that healthy proteins are amazing, as organic as you can afford. Um, that's also wild fish, not... Um, not farmed fish, super important. Grass-fed, not grain-fed. Uh, and of course, healthy fats being fantastic as well. Cold water, fat, um, cold water fatty fish, avocado, nut butter, coconut, olive oil, all great. However, when it comes to these molecules that are in all of these incredible foods, the polyphenols, the flavonoids, the foods that give your veggies color, that actually make you healthier, the vitamins, the minerals, all of those, they also have hormetic properties as well. None, you die. The right amount makes you better. Too much can make you sick. This is the pattern that it follows, with the optimal health being that middle zone where we are, eat we are eating a moderate diet. We are not extreme in any way. 
We are eating the rainbow. We are having many different types of sources of protein, many different types of sources of carbohydrates. We are minimizing processed foods that come out of a box. We are minimizing things like sugar, but everything in moderation. And I know that that's not going to get me a lot of followers on Instagram or anything like that, but it is just physiological truth. And the way that that works is those hormetic molecules, polyphenols, flavonoids, vitamins, minerals, work to activate, you don't need to know this, this is not on the test, a whole sequence of pathways inside your cells that target the nucleus of your cells to stimulate your DNA to create amino acids and proteins that make you stronger, fitter, healthier, more resilient. So that acts on the actual core DNA on your body, in your body. So I would love for you to use spices prolifically. Cinnamon, curcumin, turmeric, black pepper, all spectacular, activated by olive oil. Stu mentioned that he has been told to drink more tea. Green tea is fantastic. The green tea catchetins not only are hormetic in their actions to make you healthier, but also have antidepressive effects, which is a bonus. Also, cocoa, fantastic. I just won the room back from the comments that I made earlier. 70% um, dark cocoa or above. We talk about this every year. We've had, you know, James Rouse's chocolates dropped on the table. There's a reason for that. They are absolutely fantastic. Right after lunch, a square of dark chocolate is fantastic because that has hormetic properties. With the other benefit that cocoa also increases nitric oxide production to increase the expansion of the blood vessels in your brain. Since you brought it up, we'll mention that as well. Super good for increasing blood flow to the brain. So a little bit after lunch is fantastic. By the way, a square, not the brick, right? <laughs> just, to be, just to be clear on that one. Oh, I'm sorry, I lost the HRM table. Um, and another type of food that is hor highly hormetic, incredibly beneficial, especially for the brain, are berries. Blueberries, blackberries, strawberries. Make sure you wash them as organic as you can afford. And these are incredible, especially sort of mid-morning is when I tend to use berries and mid-afternoon. I actually trend toward nuts in the morning and then berries in the afternoon, but those are both tactics that you, that you can use. You can just grab a half pint, wash them when you get to work or your office or wherever you happen to be, and, and you're good to go. But the simple thing to remember is just eat the rainbow. right? There's a reason why we do this. It is hormetic, a little bit is... A little bit of lots of different types is, is the way to go. I'm not, I'm not doing, this is not rocket science, right? This is just foundational stuff that we all need to work on moving forward, just making sure breakfast, lunch, dinner, we're getting these into our system and we're having a variety of different sources and that's how we're gonna be healthy. That's how we're gonna get all of the molecules into our system that prevent cancer, heart disease, type diabetes, metabolic syndrome, Alzheimer's, depression, because there's now a whole field emerging called nutritional psychiatry where we can use nutrition to treat mental health conditions. So this is a hugely important area for all of us to build as a foundation for us thriving in the future and moving forward so that we can actually truly reach our, our actual human potential. So something else for you to think about. And then the final hormetic idea that I have for you is simply around hydration. I can't emphasize this enough, that we need to be drinking a lot of water. And the reason why we need to be drinking a lot of water, as well as herbal teas count, drinks with no calories is sort of the standard that we go for. So no fruit juice, no sodas, 
diet soda is totally toxic, so we want to avoid that as well if we can. And the reason why, when it comes to energy, this section of the talk is about energy, is because water, as I've shown those of you that have seen me speak before, acts upon the Krebs cycle. We know that there are four inputs to the Krebs cycle that rely upon water. So if you want to break down the foods that you eat to create energy, having enough hydration on board enables your systems to do what they need to do in the brain and the body. So water with citrus, absolutely fantastic. Water in the form of herbal tea, also spectacular. Loads of different kinds, great practice. And we're just looking for, I don't make it complicated, one to two liters a day. If you're stressed, drink more. If you do a workout, drink more. If you're traveling, drink more. If you're thinking a lot and doing a lot of work cognitively, drink a little bit more. Drink to your thirst. Check your urine. If it's relatively clear, you're good. If it's dark colored, drink more water. If you have a headache, drink more water. If you have brain fog, drink more water. Right? Like just being responsive to all of this, and this is the primary thing that we worry about and try to think about having a little bit more of throughout the course of the day. So that's the whole energy side of things. That's the hormesis piece of the puzzle. Balance, moderation, consistency, just building those rock-solid protocols and routines and practices for you moving forward such that when we arrive back here next year, I don't want a standing ovation at the end of this talk. I want a standing ovation at the beginning of next year's talk because you guys have had such an epic year because you've impl implemented all of these ideas. And you're like, thank you, Greg. That was fantastic, right? So anyway, um, questions about any of these things that I've just spoken about? Yes. And the biohacking community is now active. And <laughs> here we go. Got it. So what is distilled water? Distilled water is boiled water, basically, that has been pushed through a pipe and then recondensed so that all of the minerals have been removed. So it's pure. Like, it's as pure as you can get, which is fine. If you want pure water, it's H2O and nothing else. I actually think that some minerals are actually probably good for us. I do think that filtering your water is probably good practice, especially if you live in a city. We use a water filter called a Seychelles water filter, so that's the one that we that we use. In terms of like, there's one type of water, it's called like oxygenated water or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but ozone, no, ozonated is clean, is, yeah, can't remember. To be honest with you, I don't really get too fussed about it other than just like drink enough water. Um, I, I filter the water that we use, that we use at home. Um, distilled if you're like in a lab, but like the, to get it is really hard. And if you have a little bit of, of a few minerals in there, I actually think that's probably a good thing. A little bit of magnesium, a little bit of potassium, a little bit of sodium, a little bit of calcium. It's probably not. That's the one. That's complete bullshit. Yeah. The alkaline water is actually complete bullshit. Also, alkaline forming foods, complete bullshit. Doesn't exist. They're really good for you. They prevent cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome. You should have alkaline-forming foods, but they don't make your body alkaline because your one breath changes your acidity and resets it back to 7.1. And there's loads of sensors all through your body that measure your pH to keep it exactly the same. So you can eat as many of them as you want. It'll make you alkaline. You'll, hold your, your, you'll breathe less for 30 seconds and push you right back up to 7.1. So it's complete bullshit. So, yeah, I'm sorry if I just ruined anyone's. They're really good for you. Eat the alkaline forming foods, but they don't make you alkaline. Yes? Hungry water? Hungry water? Have you ever heard of it? Like, where, do you, where the distilled 
um, yeah, I think that you would probably have to drink an astronomical amount of distilled water to have that effect if you're eating food, which has loads of vitamins, minerals, and everything in it. So I think that's probably like really unlikely. I also think, that for, well, it is possible to drink too much while you're exercising. There's hypernatremia, where you wash all the salt out of your body. So it's, but again, it's just balance, right? How do we avoid all of these problems? Balance. How do we avoid distilled water leaching? Balance. Like just, it's all about balance. When, you, when we're balanced, we, just, we don't need to worry about any of these things that we hear about in the news or on Instagram or whatever. Like you just, when we settle down, get back into balance, everything works. It's how we're meant to be. So, yes. Does that count? <laughs> right. Right. Um, so does being outside in the cold count as like Greg's cold water immersion? Got it. Um, the biohackers are active today. Um, Judith passionately hates the cold, so she has like several layers of Canada Goose parkas that she wears when she leaves the house from basically July 31st all the way through till July 29th, right? So that's... <laughs> That's her mode of operation. So let's think about that from a physiological perspective. If this applies to saunas, hot baths, and cold water immersion, so we have water. When water comes into contact with your body, it will either suck heat out or put heat in. Think about exposing your hand through the air next to a radiator. It does absolutely nothing. Pour boiling water on your hand and you get instantaneous burns. Think about being in a steam room, really hot, sweating instantaneously because of the water. When, you're, when there's liquid against you, it pulls heat out or pushes cold in. Same thing with cold water immersion. If you're outdoors in the cold air, it will have a certain effect. If you're in cold water, it will be 10x that, which is why you have some of the cryotherapy chambers where you can go and it's like minus 180 Fahrenheit or something like that. That has been shown to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, not so much inflammation. Um, so there are just different degrees with water being faster, more powerful, and air being less powerful, you can do it for a longer period of time. So while you'll die in four minutes in cold water, you'll get hypothermia in four minutes in cold water, but you can probably be outdoors for several hours before you get hypothermia in the equivalent temperature of, of air, and the same thing applies. So it's just, that's, the, that's how to think about, about that one. It's fine. Right, yeah, leverage the cold days. You can stand outside in your underwear and say, this is Greg Wells' problem, and I'm doing it because I heard this crazy talk from this guy on Instagram. You can follow him at Dr. Greg Wells. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> yes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. If you found this show informative and helpful, check out my blog at drgregwells.com for additional insights and resources on health and human performance. I update the blog a couple times a month. To stay up to date on the latest tips, articles, and videos, be sure to follow me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. My goal on social is to keep your health and wellness and positivity at the forefront of your mind, and so I would be thrilled to connect with you there. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That helps us out a ton. And leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me to continue to produce valuable content that's relevant to all of you. Please feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. That helps a ton as well. 
And that brings this week's show to an end. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great week, everyone.